You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. I've, en- I've, I've enjoyed um, doing book studies. Uh, I, I like going through Second Peter. Did you guys get stuff out of Second Peter? Felt like you know that book. You could probably teach that book now, right? Um, and so... I've enjoyed this, and, and, and as we were looking, I was like, let's jump, let's pray through it, and we decided to jump to the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth. Now, again, the books that we have chosen so far have only been about four chapters. Um, I was talking to somebody this week, they're like, yeah, we were studying the book of John, we're on week 25. It's like, I don't know, I'm not there yet, so we'll keep with these small books. Um, just to give you a little bit of information on the book of Ruth, uh, it's one of two books in all of Scripture that's named after a woman. Uh, the first book of that would be Esther, and then we have Ruth. This, this, whole, this whole background, this whole storyline of Ruth could come down to redemption, uh, just being restored. The book shows us how God works behind the scenes, working out his will. And, and as we, we break this thing down, we're going to look at a couple of things, and, and, I, and I'm hoping that we're going to find how relevant this book is to our lives. And uh, so if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Ruth, um, if you find Joshua, Joshua judges Ruth, or you can just remember it this way, Joshua judged Ruth. I don't know why Joshua would have judged Ruth, but that's the way you can remember that. And so we're going to look at um, a couple of things here this morning. I w- I'm going to give you some background, so I'm going to teach you for a few minutes, and then I'm going to preach to you, okay? We good? So you get 50-50 this morning. Um, th- this book, again, is named after Ruth. We're going to learn about her in just a second. Uh, it's written by, we don't, we're not 100% sure. We do think that Samuel had something to do with writing the book of Ruth, but we're not, again, not 100% sure. So let's, let's jump in here and see what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us this morning. So we're going we're to look at the first five verses to start with. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah, he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. All right, say that with me. He went to join, to stay in the country of what? That's going to be really important here in just a minute. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon, and I like to say it this way, Chilion, because I think that's what he liked to do. They were, <laughs> you, you just got to make stuff up sometimes. Everything else is truth. They, they were from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman who was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, let me set the scene for you just a minute. In verse 1, it says... When the judges ruled, now there was a time in the history of Israel there were no kings. They, they, they wanted a king, and God said, you don't need a king because I'm your king. I give you everything that you need. If you'll do what I ask, you'll continue to, you'll, I'll continue to, to bless you. You'll be prosperous people. And they're like, no, 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 no. All these other countries have kings. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And God said, okay, I'll, I'll let you have a king. And king number one right out the gate was King Saul. It did not go over well. It started well. But when they chose him, they chose him because, and this is what the Bible teaches us, is that Saul was chosen because he was, he was handsome, 
and good-looking and just look like a king. And that's not the way we vote for people, right? You, let me rephrase. That's not the way we should be voting for people if they look, look the part. And so when, when, the, when we get the kings in Israel, it, it takes a really wild ride. But before we can get to the kings, we got to go back to the judges. And there's a whole book on it. And we have judges like um, Deborah, and we have judges like Samson. Um, and their job, they're basically military leaders, and their job was to, to get Israel back, to redeem them, to get them back where they were supposed to be. Because what was going on was, in those days when the judges ruled, there's this thing called the, the, the sin cycle. And, and we still live in the sin cycle today. Where Israel, everything would be at peace. They would be, they would be great. But then they would fall into idolatry and start worshiping all the other gods and all the other things. And when they did that, they would sin. God would bring oppression. Oftentimes that oppression would come that they would find themselves in slavery. This is why we see the, the children of God going through the Syrian captivity and Babylonian captivity. These, these were God taking his hand off of them and saying, okay, you're going to do your thing. I'm going to let you do your thing and see how this works out for you. Eventually, in this slavery, they would come out and go, uh, I think we messed up. We should probably repent for our sin. They did. God would restore them, and he would bring them back, and everything would go back to uh, good with their relationship, and then they would mess up again and fall the whole cycle. Does that sound familiar? Like it's kind of, we, we have that tendency to do that, right? And so this is a sin cycle, and the judges would come in to bring it. Hey, just so you know, you messed up. This is why we're doing this, and so we, we need to fix this. And the Bible tells us that in the days of the judges, just to give you a little bit more of a, an understanding, in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, it says this, In those days, uh, there, there was no king in Israel, so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And what a verse for today right? That we, we live in a culture where people don't recognize Jesus as king, and they do whatever feels right in their own eye. If it makes you feel happy, you should do it. That we pursue happiness over holiness. I read this the other day, and I thought this was a powerful statement. Stop trying to be happy and start trying to be holy. It's in the holiness that we find joy. Joy. And joy will far outlast our happiness. So, so these people are doing whatever they want to do, whatever they feel is right in their own eyes. And they've made this decision. And, and for about, I think it was about 300 years that they go through this cycle where judges have to come in to save them, to get them out of the trouble they're in because they're just being kind of hard-headed and not listening. It was a every day over and over and over. And this is, this is the background for where Ruth is. Now, many people believe that Ruth is just a continuation of the book of Judges. It was just given a name. There's another thing that we need to understand here about setting the scene is, is there's this little town called Bethlehem. All right, this, they call it uh, the city of David because this is where King David is from. This is his homeland. We also know Bethlehem because we'll talk about it a lot around Christmas time because this is where Jesus, this is where Jesus was born. This is where his father Joseph was from. This is why they came back into Bethlehem to participate in the census and to pay the taxes because this was home. This was in their lineage. Their family tree dates back all the way to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the irony here, is it means house of bread. That's its, that's its meaning. And they're living in the house of bread, but they find themselves in the middle of a famine. There's no food. There's nothing. And it leads to this desperation in Bethlehem, a place where there should be plenty, 
There was nothing. And, and sometimes when we fall into these situations where we feel like we have nothing, we get desperate, don't we? And we start, sometimes we can make really bad decisions out of desperation instead of thinking through and processing. So, so here they are in Bethlehem in this house of bread, and there's a famine. And Deuteronomy 11 tells us why there was a famine, because in Deuteronomy 11, God tells them, if you will do what I ask you to do and follow my commands, I, I will bless you, you will be prosperous, you will have everything that you need. But if you turn from me, I will take my hand off, and you will experience no rain, you will experience no growth, you will experience no harvest. So why is Bethlehem experiencing a famine? Because they have, for what, and we don't know exactly what it was, but what we do know is they've turned from God, and they're not putting their trust and faith in God. They're kind of doing whatever was right in their own eyes. So, we, we, so far in the story, we've got judges, we've got the city of Bethlehem, but we also have this place called Moab. Moab. Let me tell you a little bit about Moab. Moab's only a 50-mile journey from Bethlehem over on the bottom of the Dead Sea, you have this place called Moab, okay? Um, Moab, Moabites and Israelites were not allowed to, well, the Moabites did whatever they wanted to. The Israelites were not supposed to hang out with the Moabites, okay? Uh, a lot of bad history. Number one, this is a really weird story, but it's in the Bible. We should probably talk about it. Um, Moab dates back and goes back. It, it was founded on incest because really weird story i'm just giving you a heads up lot remember lot and, and his wife leave sodom and gomorrah there were some really bad things that were happening in sodom and gomorrah um, they leave lot's two sons stay behind because they don't believe that the angels that god sent to protect them were really angels so they decided to stay in sodom uh, lot his wife his two daughters leave as they leave, his sons are destroyed when Sodom's destroyed. Lot's wife ends up dying because she turns around, and she's not supposed to look back. When she did, she turns into salt. And it's just Lot and his two daughters, and they just ask God, can we go live in a cave? And so they do. While they're in this cave, the two daughters go, oh, no, our brothers are dead. We don't have anything. We're not going to be able to get married. We're not going to be able to extend our family name. So the daughters came up with this elaborate plan. Let's get daddy really drunk. And they did. And they slept with daddy. And they got pregnant. So Lot has kids that are his kids and his grandkids. Y'all follow me? This is in the Bible. Y'all should read that more often. Because when I read that, I was like, that can't be right. So I went back and read it. And I was like, ooh, that's a messed up family tree all of a sudden. Um, so, and, and by the way, this family tree of Lot goes directly down to Ruth. She's got a jacked up family tree. And I'll just go ahead and just, spoiler alert, you read the book of Matthew and you read the lineage of Jesus, guess who you find right in the heart of it? Ruth. She's right there in the middle. And so Lot has his kids slash grandkids. One of them goes on to lead the Amorites, which is a, is a constant thorn in the side of Israel. The other one he names Moab. And Moab goes to start the place of Moab. So the, the city itself was born out of incest. Uh, they were borderline Satan worshipers, uh, really big in child sacrifices, um, not the place that you would want to take uh, a field trip. So you wouldn't be taking your kids to Moab. So it's a really dark place. There's no spiritual growth there. There's no spiritual temperature there. There's nothing good. And that's why God told the people, hey, do not, do not go there. 
Matter of fact, when Joshua goes in and starts taking the promised land piece by piece, the one place that God said not to touch was don't touch the Moabites. And the reason you don't touch the Moabites is not because they don't deserve punishment, but I want to give blessing to Lot because it's in his family because God still said that Lot was a righteous man. And so you got Moab, founded on incest, um, not a good place, not supposed to go there. Okay? We got famine because we didn't do what we were supposed to, and we got a place called Moab that we're not supposed to go to. So now you get the second character, this first character we, that we come up against is Elimelech. Now his name means my God is king. Like his parents would name him that, that he would make this declaration, and that's what it would mean every time his name is called. He would remember, my God is king. In a world where everybody did what was right in their own eyes and everybody's worshiping all these other gods, his name alone is reminding that my God is the one that's alive. He's the one that sustains life. He's the one that guides me. And this is, this is the name. It's a powerful name. But so quickly, Elimelech makes a really bad decision. And he decides, we're in this place of famine. This is not good. We got to get out of here. There's food in Moab. What we need is in Moab. And if we'll just take up what we have, and we can go pursue our dreams and live our life in Moab, everything will be fine. Not one time in the scripture do we read in Ruth chapter 1, chapter one verses 1 through 5, nowhere in there do we see that God told him, you should go to Moab. Matter of fact, what we see is, do not go to Moab. And he does it anyway. And so he's chasing a dream, he's chasing his hopes, and he gets there, and it doesn't work out at all. Because he's already broken the rule of don't associate with the Moabites. Because you don't want to get sucked into that culture. You don't want to be a part of what they're doing. They're not honoring to me as their God. They don't even recognize me as a God. And so here we are leaving a place of Bethlehem. And we're heading to a place that our dreams should be. We should get everything we want in our family should be fine. But it doesn't work that way. The dream turns into a nightmare because the woman like dies. And that's when we get this lady named Naomi. Naomi's name means pleasant one. Pleasant one. And here she is following her husband's lead. She's got dreams that her sons would get married and she would have grandkids and everything would go right. But famine hits, and they leave to start this brand new life over. And you can know as a mom that she wants to make sure her kids are taken care of. They have everything they need in this new place. But then dad dies. They're already going to a place where they didn't know anybody, they didn't have anything, and dad dies. Her hope gets a little restored when her boys marry, but then they die. And we find this pleasant woman with her new daughters-in-law standing in front of three tombstones because they've lost everything. And she's been in this mess for 10 years. They, they, when they left Bethlehem and go to Moab, they've been there for 10 years. And she's gone into this pain. She's gone into this hurt that I've lost everything in an attempt to chase and get everything. And so here is Naomi. 
Hopes and dreams, gone. Hopes of grandkids, gone. Hopes of watching my boy grow up, gone. Growing old with my husband, gone. She has nothing. She leaves Bethlehem with nothing, and she returns with absolutely nothing. Now put yourself in this situation. What do you do? What do you do if you're Ruth? I mean, if you're, if you're Naomi, you've, you've lost everything. It's, it's a hopeless situation. But let's look what the Bible says in verse 6. So it says, after all this happened, after, after her boys die, she, she makes a decision. She says this. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she gets, she heard somehow a word about God had gotten back to her in this desolate, non-spiritual country that she finds out that there's food back home in Bethlehem. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, she said, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the, with the dead and if you have dealt with me. And the Lord grant that you may find a rest each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and they wept. And they said to her, no, 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 no. We will return with you to your people. Because remember, the Jews were not their people. They were Moabites. They were outcasts. They were not supposed to be been hanging out with people like that. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? I have yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands, so turn back. In other words, I don't, I don't have anything for you. So turn back my daughters. Now listen to that term. Turn back my daughters. There's a community there. The only thing that she has are these two daughter-in-laws. And she says, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? He says, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Let me give you a couple of points this morning. The wrong direction will always lead to the wrong destination. The wrong direction will always lead to the wrong destination. You can, you can punch it in your GPS however you want. But if you punch in the wrong address, you're going to end up at the wrong address. Elimelech punches in the wrong address to get to Moab. And he takes off on this destination. And this destination that's supposed to provide for them and, and be a safe haven for their family is nothing of what they had dreamed of. And it may have been okay to start with, and we don't know why he died. We don't know how his sons died. We don't know, we don't know any of those things. All we know is they died. And, and it's the wrong destination because God never gave them the confirmation that they were supposed to go there to start with. And they make this decision that we are. And that's what I find interesting, that his name means, you know, my God. My God is the king. My, my, my God and here, here he is making decisions for himself and not listening to the king. And it's so, like, when things get uncomfortable, it's so quick for us to run from those things, isn't it? 
that we will flee when we feel uncomfortable and this is just not the right thing, we don't feel like it's the right thing, we will jump ship quick to get to a place of security because we don't like to feel uncomfortable. And so he goes in the wrong direction. He goes chasing this dream, but God never told him to leave the place that he was because he was in the promised land. He was in the land that God had promised them. Maybe he left, and what God was trying to do was get Elimelech to, to rise up as a spiritual leader to help get the people, the community, back on track of where they were supposed to be. But instead of doing that, he just jumps ship. And he takes his family, and he pays a heavy price for it. The, the famine and the dead end that they, they felt drove them out. And they made this quick decision. You know, dead ends and famines can sometimes be a mess that we make. Sometimes the famines that we go through is a mess that we made. And we'll say things like, I feel like God's mad at me because he's, I feel like I'm, I'm being punished in some way. Well, God is a God of consequence. He's, 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 a, he's, he's a judge. There are consequences when we do really dumb things. Like, you cheat on your spouse, there are consequences for that. You lie to the police officer, there's consequences for that. There's, there's con and I tell people, especially my students that I teach here, there's a consequence for everything that you do. Everything. It doesn't matter what it is. You hold the door for someone when they walk in, there's a consequence for it. It's a good consequence. You slam the door in somebody's face when they walk in, it depends on who the person is. It's going to depend on how bad and severe the consequence is. If the dude's seven foot tall, weighs 300 pounds, and been working out in the gym, it's going to be a really bad consequence when you slam the door in his face. But there, there are consequences for everything. Sometimes these famines that we're in, we got in that famine because of the choice that we made. And then we feel like God's left us out here alone, and, and he doesn't love us, and he doesn't care for us, because there, there's a little bit of consequence on the back end that we feel. So often these famines that we have are simply just a mess that we've made. And we've got to define, like, the famine that you're in. Did, did I cause any of this? Is there anywhere that I've been disobedient? Is there, is there anything that I need to do to repent of in this famine? So sometimes it's a mess we made. Some, sometimes it's a mess that someone else made. Maybe you identify more with that. Someone else's choices or sin affected you. Because it affects everybody. Because last time I checked, when I read Genesis chapter 3, when Eve bit of the fruit, I didn't read my name in that story anywhere. Did y'all find yourself in that story? Did you see your name? But aren't we all paying the consequence for what she did? And he did. We're all paying that. We, we all pay consequence for sin. And sometimes the famine is, is something that somebody else has caused, and we're just collateral damage in it. Now, I think about going back to Judges when these the God's people, the Hebrews, are taken constantly in the slavery because of their disobedience. That didn't mean that every one of them were disobedient. There were many of them that were probably doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And then you're like, whoa, why am I going to slavery? I don't want to go to Babylon. What did I do? I didn't do anything. You got Daniel who goes into Babylon captivity, and he's only like 12 or 14 years old. He's like, what did I do? Why am I here? But sometimes these famines are, are, are messes that someone else made. 
If you'll notice in the passage, Naomi's blaming God for the situation. But when she's blaming God, what she really needs to do is, is go back and go, my husband made a really bad decision. And he took us to a place that we were never supposed to go, and it cost us severely. And now here she is facing the consequences for that decision. So it's a mess we made. Famines can be somebody else. Sometimes it can simply be setting the stage for a miracle. Sometimes you're going through a famine, and, and the reason you're going through that, God's allowing you to go through that, but he's preparing something in that. So sometimes there's this preparation that he wants. There's, there's something that he may be ready for that. And I know that word miracle scares us a lot of times, but listen, God is still in the miracle working business every day. And he wants to do miracles. And I know the question is, why don't we see them? Because I don't know that we believe that they happen. If we would just take hold of the Holy Spirit and let him take us where we need to, I, I guarantee we'd see more miracles happen in this nation. We would see healings. We would see all these things. But you've got to have spirit eyes to see it. So Naomi's blaming this on God, but she forgets this. She's in chapter 1. God's got something in store for her for chapter 2. There's something good for her in chapter 2. That oftentimes we get so caught up in chapter 1 that we forget that there's something next. That we need to be obedient in the place that we are and hear from God so that when chapter 2 opens, we can find ourselves in chapter 2. So sometimes famines are just God setting up a miracle. Sometimes it's just life. Well, why'd this happen? Sometimes it's just life. Y'all remember the song, Old Man Turned 98, Won the Lottery, and He Died the Next Day? Isn't it a, all of you Atlantis Morissette fans here this morning? But isn't it ironic? Sometimes things just happen. I don't know. Sometimes the famine in your life that you're going through is just life. And I think you would agree with me. Sometimes life is completely unfair, isn't it? It's completely unfair. Like, why did this happen? Why did they get cancer and pass away? Why, why did somebody steal my car out of my driveway? It's life. Those things happen. They happen. And sometimes our famines are just life because we live in a broken world with broken people and life happens. So you, you're going through a famine, you're going through a dead end, feel like you're at a dead end, it's, you're going to find yourself in one of these four categories. It's either a mess that you've made, it's a mess that somebody else has created, God's trying to work this for a miracle, or this is just life. Like, this is just what happens. And we've got to be able to define that. Because the famine that they're in right now was simply because they were not being very obedient. Look, look at, with me at Ruth 113. Because this is what happens when we don't, when you can't define why you're going through a dead end or in a dead end or, or going through a famine. It's oftentimes because we feel this way. She said, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you therefore retain from marrying? She said, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. Listen to this word, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. You ever felt like God's out to get you? Well, this happened because God's mad at me. I remember growing up not fully understanding the love and the grace of God. And I used to see God as the guy playing the whack-a-mole games. You remember whack-a-mole? That he was just waiting for me to pop up and do something wrong, and he's going to hit me and push me back down. 
And when you live life like that, you live life in fear. Fear that I can't, if, if I do this, and if I do this, God's going to punish me. That's called legalism. And he died to pull us out of that. He died to pull us out of that. And so God's not waiting on you to pop up so that he can smash you in the head and put you right back in your place. Because when you mess up, what I have found in Scripture is not God trying to hit you and make you feel guilty because that's of the enemy. What I have found is he gets down in the mess with you and picks you up into his arms and heals you and, and gives you, restores your hope. This is what the Scripture says that he does is he restores our hope. And the thing with Naomi is all these bad things are happening around her, and immediately her first thought is like she believes in God, and she stands on the fact that God is true, but her theology is messed up because she feels like God is out to get her, that these things are happening because, God, because she did not define the famine. The famine happened because she is suffering somebody else's decision. And so she's got to get it in check. So what we would see here is that Naomi would be walking by sight. She's allowing the things that are happening around her to shape her belief. And can I tell you that your theology should always shape your circumstances, never the other way around. Never the other way around. And, and this is what she's doing. But what I find interesting is Naomi's walking by sight, but Ruth is walking by faith. And the only thing she knows about this God, Jehovah, is what she has seen in Naomi. Look at 15, verse 15, it says, And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, and to her gods return after your sister-in-law. So when she told them that they could go back, you don't feel like you need to come with me because my baggage is my baggage, it's not your baggage. Orpah said, Oh, see you later. And she went right back to Moab. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, Naomi said, no more. Ruth is walking by faith. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you lay your head, I'll lay my head. I will not depart from you. And if I do, may God punish me for, for breaking my covenant that I'm making with you. See, Naomi's faith in God birthed a growing faith for Ruth. She's a Moabite who's willing to give up her own religion, give up everything that she has for the possibility of finding hope in this God. And so she's going to make her way in the Bethlehem. But she had to sacrifice some things. Oftentimes, when we're in these famines, there's some things that we got to get rid of and sacrifice because God uses these valleys that we go through. He uses these famines that we go through to strip away things that we don't need. And it, sometimes it's not comfortable, right? And we know we got to get rid of these things. We shouldn't be doing it. It's not comfortable. But in the end, we're better. We're closer to him because of it, because of our obedience. And in verse 19, he says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred. Now, I'm thinking, 
they're probably upset. It's been 10 years. And when we left here, I had a family. And I'm coming back 10 years later. I left here going after great dreams. I left here going, hoping that something good was going to happen, even though it was spiritually desolate and God wasn't moving in Moab. I felt like these things were good. And now she leaves Bethlehem 10 years ago with excitement, but she returns with her head down and with nothing. And I'm thinking, if I'm one of these community members and I see her coming back in, I'm thinking, you abandoned us, you left us, you were supposed to be helping pull your weight for our community, and you left us. But the Bible tells us that they were stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She said, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She's still got this mindset. This mindset that God is after her. That God is punishing her. He said, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's been 10 years, and she comes back from this dream that's a nightmare, and here she is coming into her community. Now, there's a beautiful picture here, and we just talked about why it's so important for you to be in a disciple group. Because she comes right back into her community. When she needed it most and she needed encouragement, she needed direction, she needed help, they were there. And I want you to see her honesty with them, her transparency. Because she didn't just say this in private to Ruth, she confesses this to her community. I am broken. I am bitter. I left here pleasant because that's what my name meant. And that's who I was, but I have come back bitter. And I need help. And I need help. She's been gone 10 years, and some people, again, may have felt like they pushed her off, but they welcomed her back into the community. And we're going to see more on how that played out over the next couple of weeks. Let me give you a couple of last points here. Because when we go in these famines and we leave the place that God has asked us to be, we need to know how to return home. How do we get back? So let me give you two steps on how to get back home. Number one, if you find yourself in this famine, you need to pursue obedience more than comfort. You need to pursue obedience more than comfort. Obedience was Bethlehem. Comfort was Moab. And when you leave obedience for comfort, it's the wrong destination. You've gone in the wrong direction to get their own destination. Now, Elimelech put his family in a situation they should have never been in. Where they had a God-fearing community and they didn't have anything. And they were surrounded by false worship, false idols. The very thing that their people keep getting oppressed for. Elimelech didn't need a new location. What he needed was a word from God. Because if he would have stopped and got that word from God, this whole thing could have been avoided. But he didn't. Because he took matters 
into his own hands. He wasn't obedient. So pursue obedience more than your comfort. Because in this case, Elimelech ran from the people of God. Because when life gets heavy, the first thing we want to pull back from, when our schedules get busy, the first thing we want to pull back from is the community and the church. And I've never understood that. The very thing that our lives are founded on, we want to pull away from, and it's the very thing that's going to pull us in for healing, it's going to pull us into joy, it's going to pull us into community, we pull away from. And I've never, I've never quite understood that. And maybe it's from the comfort, but don't ever run from the people of God. Run to the people of God. Here's the second thing. The best new chapters always begin with faith and honesty. You want to start over in a fresh start, it starts with faith and with honesty. Ruth said, listen, I've seen enough to know. Because she's not been in a community of believers. She's been in a community, she's been in this community of, of false worship, of idol worship. And the only thing she knows about God is the life that Naomi has lived and how she's handled this situation of brokenness. And she says, your God will be my God. I have seen enough to know. What a compliment. Could you imagine somebody saying that about your life? Is I don't know who your God is, but I've watched your life, and I have seen enough to know that he's who he says he is. And there's a faith. She says, your God will be my God. But there's also an honesty. Because in verse 20, we saw Naomi said, do not call me Naomi. You call me Mara, because God has dealt with me bitterly. There's got to be an honesty. We have to learn to tell ourselves the truth. Right? I will lie to myself in a heartbeat. I will convince myself that, no, these, this is what it's supposed to be. But you've got to learn to tell yourself the truth. Because a lot of the times that we get in these famines and we're at a, a standstill, it's going to take faith and honesty to move your relationship forward, to move your life forward. At the end of chapter one, hope appears because this word Bethlehem pops back up. And she returns. She leaves with a famine. She returns. The very thing that she was looking for 10 years ago, she comes back and finds in Bethlehem because the harvest season is upon them and there is food for everyone. But there's also this honesty of Naomi taking these steps back. And listen to me. I'm, I'm going to do another spoiler alert here, but it's fine. Naomi has to make a decision to go and face her community and, and risk, put herself out there to risk possible judgment, outcasts, because there were some rules that when, when you came back and you were a widow, there's some rules in that. We'll talk about that next week. But she had to make that decision to come back. And let me tell you, your decisions, remember I told you, they always have consequences, Right? There's a consequence for her coming back. Naomi comes back. And this is not on the screen. I'll just read it. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 22, it says that Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And seven generations after David 
would be a baby boy born in the city of Bethlehem named Jesus. Our hope. Her decision to go back to her community, to go back to the people of God, to have faith, to be honest, to pursue obedience over her comfort. Because honestly, it would, life would have been a lot easier for her in Moab than it would have been in her own culture. But she goes back, and because of that, it sets the family tree for our Savior to be here. And when we go to Matthew chapter 1 and read that genealogy, there she is. By the way, the first genealogy in all of Scripture to put women in it. And she's right in the middle of it. Ruth, a Moabite. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I don't know if you have crushed spirits. I don't know if you feel like you're in a famine. I don't know if you feel like there's decisions on your plate that you've got to, you got to make some, some decisions. I just want to challenge you this morning that God is always working things behind the scenes for his will. And what he's asked you and I to do is to simply pray, join him. The, the mess you may be going through right now may not even be your fault. It may be because of somebody else. You may have made some bad choices. These are your consequences. Could just be life. Or it could be God working a miracle behind the scenes. And how do we know that? How do we know which of those things it is? You've got to get along with God and hear from him. It's that simple. So I want to pray for you. And uh, just ask God in these next few moments, I, 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 want, I want him to speak to you. Because as we dig through this book, life's going to get a little bit more difficult for these two ladies. But God's going to continue working through the background to bring redemption back. Father, I thank you so much today for who you are. That oftentimes our disobedience will lead us down bad place to the wrong destination. But I am so thankful that when we hit the wrong destination that you are a God that does U-turns. You get us back to where we need to be. And here in these moments, I don't know where we're at. I don't know what we're going through. I don't know if everything is fine or life is just broken and we've been so scared to open up about it. I just pray that you would break whatever barrier that is. Help us tell ourselves the truth that it's not okay so that we can begin surrounding ourselves around community and experiencing the hope and the redemption that only you can give. So in these next moments, God, just stir our hearts, convict us, May whatever the Holy Spirit is teaching us right now, I just pray that you would help us to acknowledge that so we can be obedient to that. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.